Hi, beloved ones. Welcome back to the podcast. If you are new, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that this is your first episode that you're going to be listening to because this one is going to be fire. I just wanted to be brave and say some of the things that have like been on my mind. Um, some of the things that I just naturally am a more quiet person. I don't like conflict. So I tend to keep my opinions to myself, but these things need to be said, especially while we still can say them. So today we're going to be touching on, I think it's, yeah, five things that you can believe to be a rebel, (laughs) which sounds weird, but I will explain it. Um, And honestly, at the end of all of it, it's really just five controversial statements slash beliefs that I never thought would be controversial. So, first off, um, today, Facebook and Instagram actually went down, and it was weird to see and hear people's reactions, because actually, all I heard was relief. It was so weird. I, the nature of my job, we actually rely on Facebook and Instagram a lot, but we were actually kind of like, oh, I mean, if this goes down, we have our website, we have our email list, and honestly, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And I don't know, for those couple hours, it was actually really nice. And I was just like, I started seeing these news articles that were saying that, you know, Facebook and Instagram could be down forever. And I thought, wait, why? Like, I'm actually not afraid of that. That actually sounds really nice. So imagine to my surprise when it came back and I was actually kind of disappointed. So I don't know, maybe there's like a problem there. But yeah, I'm curious what you guys think. What do you guys think? Would it have been a good thing if Facebook and Instagram had gone down? I don't know. I kind of just wish that we could go back to the world of blogs. I just, I loved blogs so much and no one takes the time to look at or read blogs anymore. It's so sad. I mean, the the funny slash sad thing is I don't read blogs really anymore either because everything happens on Instagram and it's all curated I remember, was it Blog Lovin'? Yeah, they kind of had an Instagram model type thing. Were any of you guys on Blog Lovin'? It was kind of the Instagram idea. Um, where, Because, you know, back in the day, I would just have a bookmark tab that would say blogs. And I would bookmark all my favorite blogs. But it was kind of a pain because I never knew if they had posted something new. Uh, some of them didn't even have emails where they would email you when a new blog post was posted. And I just liked the feed idea, you know. So then Blog Loving came around and made that kind of blog feed where you could just go to blogloving.com and find all the blogs that you follow in one place. And then Instagram came along, which is now honestly like a mini blog. And people are more prone to pay attention to that now. But anyway, that's just a trip down memory lane. I, for one, have to say I would not be sad if Instagram and Facebook were gone tomorrow. Even, like, all my pictures and captions because I know I can write more stuff and take more pictures. But anyway, on to the episode. Let's talk about some statements that I never thought would be controversial. And these are actually ways that you can be a rebel. So I find it so interesting. As a Christian... Rebels are people who disobey God and who sin and who are 
literally in contention against him. Now, of course, they're not every person that is unsaved is, you know, throwing their fist up to the air, like cursing God, because a lot of them don't even think of his existence or they're in denial. However, at the end of the day, they are rebels. And so that's what a rebel is to us. It's anyone that goes against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, to the world right now, a rebel is anyone who is going against the mainstream, who is going against the government even in places like China or, um, you know, just other places like that. So I guess, you know, there's always different things, but you can look in the New Testament. Jesus was a rebel of sorts, right? Because he totally flipped over what all the Jews thought Christianity was. He totally gave the Pharisees and the Sadducees a run for their money. And I mean, they thought he was a rebel and he was in the good sense of the word. And sometimes I just think to myself, like I'm such a quiet person and I never thought that I could be a rebel and be seen as a rebel because I, you know, because I do one day want to have kids and settle down, that's rebellious because I do want to wear skirts and dresses and I don't, you know, I don't always cling to my right to wear pants, I'm seen as a rebel because I believe in two genders and I believe that babies are humans at conception. I'm a rebel. So let's go through some of these things. If you guys are just wanting to be a rebel or are just curious on how you are a rebel, these are some statements that I really want you to think about because a lot of these statements are under attack in America and I mean across the world. And if you don't agree with these statements or if you're trying to figure out, you know, this is what my parents believe, but do I believe it too? This hopefully will be a really good overview type podcast. I'm not going to be able to go in depth on each item because A, I am not a professional. I'm not like a theologian in any of these areas. And then um, also, I just don't have enough time. So let's start out with the first one. The first controversial opinion that I never thought would be controversial is that there are only two genders. Now, Genesis backs this up, okay? So Genesis 127 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Only two genders. There is a gender binary. End of discussion. There's no they, them. There's no goofy pronouns. It's he, she. There's two. They're vastly different. God made them different specifically. And we'll see this as we take a look at other verses about the two genders. So, for example, in, let's see here, where is this? In Matthew 19, 5, it says, It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, marriage is between a man and a woman. This verse here makes it so, so clear that it's a man and a woman. There is a reason that I'm saying this over and over again. Because there are even Christians who believe that, you know, that men can marry men and women can marry women. And 
this verse clearly denies that. It defines what marriage is. And at the end of the day, marriage is a picture, okay? So the reason that we have marriage, one of the reasons is that God loves word pictures. I think this is so cool because as a writer, as a lover of words, I just find this so, so beautiful. In the Bible, Jesus is represented by the husband. The husband takes care of the wife. The husband gives his life for the wife. The husband protects his wife, even at the own cost of giving up his own life. Now, in contrast, the wife is, uh, represents the church. The church is submissive to Christ, a.k.a. the husband. That's why we as women are submissive to our husband, because we are showing how the church is supposed to read the Bible and obey God's word. And the church, is, the church isn't as strong as Jesus is. Likewise, the woman, just as being a woman, is not as strong as a man would be. This, honestly, when I realized this, it really opened up this idea. Now, I've always believed that there are only two genders. However, a couple years ago, I went to a wedding and the pastor just gave this really beautiful sermon about what marriage was. And I don't know why. Maybe I just never really listened to weddings because it was boring and I'd been younger. But it really hit me this time that marriage is actually a beautiful picture of the church's relationship with Christ. And that backs up this whole idea of marriage too. There's not only did God make man and woman, not only did he say multiple times in the Bible, including Matthew 19, 5, that marriage is between a man and woman, he also has a specific purpose behind it. So if you have two women, you have the church that doesn't work. If you have two men, that's that's an incomplete picture. That's two pictures of Christ. That's not how it was meant to be. And it's crazy that we're living in a world where that is not, I don't even know if that's the majority opinion anymore. People don't want to be seen as intolerant. They don't want to be seen as hateful. But guys, the truth is not hateful. I did a post a couple weeks ago and real love is wanting the best for people. And a lot of the times that means telling them the hard truth that means telling them that they are wrong. That means telling them that, hey, you're like going against what the scripture says. That means telling them that God obviously did not make marriage to be this way because people end up getting diseases. And there's just so many different things that people like to sidetrack in the name of being kind. Like, oh, well, and like, that's none of my business. Well, I mean, it's not. But also, we are called to be representatives of Christ, and we are called to edify one another and to help each other not stumble. So we don't have to be, you know, going barging into people's homes and being like, you're sinning, you're sinning in this area, you're sinning in this area. But we have to call it as we see it. Jesus did that. Jesus called people out for their sin. So, yeah, we have to be a little bit bold and brusque and we, being a Christian doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you or you just sit in a corner and pray all day. You have to be bold. You have to call sin out as you see it. <clears throat> so that's the first statement. And probably, honestly, like, it's good to get that one out of the way. That is a big statement. Okay. Um, the second one. Abortion is wrong. Okay. 
I, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. Life begins at conception. Psalm 139, 15 says, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. If God is talking about how he is watching us being formed as he's weaving us together in the darkness of the womb, that is a picture of he's obviously involved in this process. There's no date where God's like, oh, well, now you're a human, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about in the womb. So even before the child is born, God has a purpose for that child. God is specifically carving and molding and forming. In the Bible, the word uh, that it uses in the Hebrew is actually connotative of that of a potter molding clay. It's a very intimate word. And it saddens me also because there are a lot of more progressive Christians that believe that are more pro-choice. And it's it's abortion is murder okay there's no that there's no getting past it i think i think at the end of the day it's not really a problem of people um not believing that it's murder it's more that they talk themselves into that the child is not a child jeremiah 1 5 says before i formed you in the womb i knew you before i formed you before the child was even conceived and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So if God gave us a purpose, so here in Jeremiah, he decided before the beginning of time that Jeremiah was going to be a prophet to the nations. Who are we to say, oh, this child was a mistake. I can't do this. Who are we to say, this child will not have a good quality of life. They wouldn't want to live anyway. That should be a God decision because at the end of the, because God is the one that gives life. There's so many stories in the Bible about women who were barren and all they wanted was a child. And one of the greatest things that God ever did in their life was to give them a child. And so it's very clear that God is also the one that enables people to have children. He enables that conception to happen. And so if it does happen, it was of God. Of course, there are a lot of different gray areas that people always like to bring up, and we can debate about those all day. But this is just an absolute travesty. And when I was school, I actually, one of my projects for art, we were supposed to do something commenting on, you know, a problem in the world. And I made, I made a map of the United States made up of, little cutout baby dolls because it is absolutely disgusting to me that a lot of us a lot of career women are built on the on innocent children on the lives of innocent children so this is something that we can't again we have to be bold about this we have to we can speak the truth in love but we must speak the truth Christians cannot be Christians and pro-choice. People that do that are only fooling themselves and they're trying to give them an excuse, themselves an excuse for mistakes. Okay, we have to own up to our mistakes. There are consequences and we have to, we, there is now another human involved in this, 
the child did, is absolutely innocent, did not have anything to do with it, and it is very, very unfair that these children have to suffer and die without even seeing the light of day because of immature people's choices. I, this I can get very, very fired up about, and I'm sure you can too. Okay, let's move on to the next one before I like write a thesis on this. Okay, so the third one, if you want to be a revolutionary, um, realize that it is okay and beautiful to choose children and a husband over a career. Now, some of us, aka me, aka maybe you, do not have the option at this point to, you know, to have this choice because we're not married, maybe we aren't even dating. So don't feel bad about that. If God has not put that on your horizon, then, you know, you do your career, girl. Like that is what you are made for. I want to mention Ecclesiastes because it talks about there is a season for everything. There is a time for everything. So right now might be the time to really chase your career, to chase your own self-development, to become a better person. However, it is not wrong to want to stay home with your children, to want to get married to a man, to want to have children. I want to talk about Proverbs 31 because there, um, okay, so there's two lines of thought. A, it's totally fine to stay home and be a mother. B, you can still be a hard-working woman. The Proverbs 31 talks about how the Proverbs 31 woman um, seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. She considers a field and buys it. She dresses herself with strength. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. This woman is a businesswoman. If you want to have a business while you're staying at home with your children, also don't feel guilty about this because this Proverbs 31 woman is spoken of buying fields and spinning flax and bringing in supplemental income. Now, also, however, this does not mean that every single woman has to be involved in an MLM or, you know, on Etsy. Some women are just called to be moms and you don't have to feel guilty about that. Women, as mothers, are innately hardworking. I mean, doing laundry, doing dishes, cleaning up after the children is absolutely enough. And so you can still have that hardworking spirit and be a mother. This is an amazing thing. And even just being a wife, I, it's, it's so weird to see women barging through life with a career and a briefcase and never looking back. And I can't help but, like, I mean, I know I personally, I find a lot of joy in my work. I love my job, but there is this part of me that's like, I mean, is this it? You know, like, there must be more than this. I mean, especially when you think about 40 years down the road. I I was telling my friend this. She was like, I do not think that far. That's kind of terrifying. But all my life, one of my biggest fears is being alone. Um whether that's like I'm 80 years old and everyone I know has passed on or, you know, just upright being alone on a weekend and really feeling that. But I don't know how these women cannot think, hey, in 50 years, there's not going to be anyone to take care of me. I do not want to end up in a nursing home. 
no thank you. Like, that absolutely terrifies me. So, wanting to be a mom, wanting to be a wife is a good thing. The Bible says to be fruitful and multiply. And so, when we get married, that's what we're doing. We are participating in God's, one of God's first commands to us. Now, this one. All right, this one might ruffle some feathers. You are a rebel if you believe that all humans were made in the image of God and therefore all lives matter in his eyes. I am so tired of these mind games and these word games that people are playing, okay? Going back to Genesis, God made man. God made Adam and Eve and everyone else in the entire world came from them. We are all a family. We all came from the same people and we need to stop categorizing people. We need to stop trying to find differences and try to find instead ways to appreciate each other's culture and ways to um, ways to connect with other people because people are always wanting to look on the outside. People are always wanting to you know, define, oh, this is the beauty standard for 2021. Are you kidding? Like, no. Why are there always boxes? Why are there always standards? Why do we always want to say, oh, I like her. I feel comfortable with her because she looks like me, but her, I don't. I, Like, it's just absolutely crazy to me. Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Jew or Greek is, you know, ethnicity. So, in Christ, which means, by the way, because I know some people use this as a reason that, because it, ugh, I could go on with this. It says there is neither male nor female in this verse, and I've heard that some Christians use this as a reason for the, you know, LGBTQ movement. Okay, so, you know, newsflash, the Bible does use things metaphorically, not everything is absolutely literal. And also, if you have Christian maturity, you understand that this statement at the end, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, refers to how we are all, this refers to the church. So in the church, we are all the same. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. God sees us all. He does not see Amanda, age 22, height this, weight that, gender this. It, he sees Amanda. He sees my soul. This is what it's saying. It's saying that he is non-discriminatory, just as we should be. And so my bigger emphasis on this was the part about how there is no Greek. There, there is no ethnicity with God and within the church. There should not be this, you know, ethnicity division or gender division. All right, guys. So last one. And honestly... All right, guys, last one. And honestly, maybe the one that I want to chat with you guys the most about because there's so much that goes into it. So the last one is love your neighbor regardless of their beliefs. Like I said earlier, there, there is so much division in our country, in our neighborhoods, in our world, period, right now. And even amongst Christians, uh, Christians with other Christians or Christians looking onto the world. And I, I'm sorry, I do not want to hear any more Christians saying that they hate 
certain people that they that they don't like certain political movements that they I think that we should have respect for all people. Now, of course, it is way harder to respect, you know, the the evil people of the world and some people don't really deserve that respect, but I think for the majority Satan is trying to divide us because if we are divided, we will not want to share the gospel with these people. We see them as lesser, we see them as evil, we see them as irredeemable, and we deem them unworthy of the gospel, unworthy of our conversation, unworthy of our love, and therefore God's love. And that's, we're just becoming Jonah's. We're just, you know, looking down on Nineveh saying, God, rain down the fire. And we're sitting by our little trees, you know, just, just enjoying it, eating grapes and living our lives. And God says, no, no, you, no, you get down in Nineveh and you love on these people that need me and you be them to, be me to them. Show them myself. So Matthew 22 says, um, you know, there's, there's a man that asks what the great commandment in the law is. And Jesus says, of course, that the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. However, the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, we learn as little kids that your neighbor does not mean, you know, the people that are closest to you. Your neighbor literally means everyone in the world. It means the people that you come into contact with. The person that you meet at Ralph's that cuts you off in line, yep, that's your neighbor. And this is a non-inclusive, this is a non-exclusive command. We're supposed to love everyone. I also wanted to just look up some verses about loving our enemies because every time I hear this talk about like, oh, these people, you know, irredeemable, I just remember like, what about all those verses in the Bible that talk about loving our enemies? Luke six twenty seven, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Uh, Matthew five forty four, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans twelve fourteen, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Romans twelve twenty. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Luke six twenty seven. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse for you, who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Luke six thirty five. Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And then likewise, when we do these, the reason that we do these things is not to gain brownie points with God or to just be a good person or to feel good about ourselves. It's because we represent God. I mean, of course people are just becoming more and more divided because why would you want to listen to someone that's yelling at you? Why would you want to engage in a conversation with someone who has a frown on their face or who immediately is on the defensive, who doesn't care about you as a person, who doesn't want to know your story and why you believe what you believe, who doesn't want to engage in civil conversation. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. First Chronicles 16.8 commands us to make known his deeds 
among the peoples. First Peter 3.15 talks about honoring Christ the Lord as holy, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that is in us. Over and over and over again, God commands us to share the gospel with him. And if we are writing off every person that we see or every person that we you know, know is of a different political background than us, then how can we be a testimony to them? We'll never even get close to them. They'll never even want to listen to us. And I mean, like I said, why would I want to? I would do not want to listen to someone whose only goal is to make me look like a fool because I'm wrong, right? So I just want to encourage us that when it's so easy right now and it's so encouraged to choose hate, when it's so encouraged to band together with people that believe the same thing as you do and make fun of other people to um, just be really abrasive and obnoxious about the whole thing. God has still called us to love our neighbors and even more than that, to love our enemies. This doesn't mean that you have to be a pushover, that you have to be stepped on, that you can't argue, but this means that everything that we do, we should be seeking at the end of the day, to be a good witness of God. We should be seeking to love our neighbors and our enemies. We should be seeking to leave them with a better image of who God is. And also, I want to mention that our ultimate goal, of course, and maybe this is obvious, but I just want to remind us, it's not to convert people to a certain philosophical belief or to a certain political party or to a certain, I don't know, we don't just want them to agree with us, okay? We want them to get saved. There is so much talk about, you know, oh, they've been, they've been, their minds have been changed. Wahoo. Well, that doesn't matter for eternity if it doesn't have to do with salvation, their minds being changed about salvation. So my first priority is telling people about Jesus, getting souls saved, and allowing these people to, you know, have the chance to have their minds changed and the light is turned on and suddenly Satan doesn't have a grip on them anymore and they can actually think critically and logically and people are not won over by hate, right? People are not won over by words of contention. I I don't know. I'd, I don't feel like people are won over by heated debates or arguments very often even. What wins people over is love and compassion and truth and actions. Actions are very big. When they, what do they see you when you think no one's watching? Do they see what you're doing? Do they see how on your Instagram you're talking, you know, trash about these people and then at work you're like super nice but they're just like, oh, well that's just her. Like she's actually like this online. She's just fake at work. I just want to remind us that we are to love our neighbors and I think a big cure for what we're seeing going on in the world is unity. Um, Not the kind of unity that the world wants that is very godless and very authoritarian, but a unity which honestly can come only because of God. And this unity is, of course, exampled by the church. We see lots of unity in the church. There's people of all ethnicities and backgrounds and stories. And 
even, you know, people with different sin problems and they're in the church and yet the church is very united in because it has a united belief and it has a united goal and mission. And so that's what we need to be spreading throughout the world. So guys, I hope that this was just a really big encouragement to you guys and it, it makes you be encouraged to think more critically about issues in our world. If you have any issues that you want me to dive in deeper to, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at one, and you also sign up for our mailing list at obelovedone.com. We also have blog posts and free resources there. And um, yeah, so if you write me and let me know which one of these you'd like me to dive deeper into, I would love to, or other issues, because I think thinking critically and being discerning about current events is huge, and it's something that we as the church are missing. And so if I can, you know, fill in that void in any way, I would love to. All right, guys, hope this was super encouraging. Don't be afraid to be rebels for the gospel, to stand up for what's true, to be bold and speak the truth in love. Until next time, don't forget that you guys are beloved.